helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome, everybody, to the Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers. My name is Craig Etheridge, and I'm your host, and I'm here with uh, Dean Plumley. Dean Plumley is the National Director of Christian Surfers in the United States, In the early 90s, God challenged him with two things, to make disciples to make disciples and to tell surfers about Jesus. And that's rather odd because uh, Dean grew up in West Virginia. Uh, However, God has used Dean and his wife, Amy, uh, to really ignite disciple-making movements. They're also working with Sun Life Ministries, a disciple-making ministry. They live in Florida. They have three children, a dog and a hamster, and they're passionate about making disciples. So Dean, thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, thanks, Craig. It's great to be here. Well, I'm glad I got the hamster in there just to round off the family. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he keeps us busy. <laughs> I bet he does. I bet he does. Well, Dean, we're talking today about um, disciple making in student ministry. And uh, I know you've served uh, as student pastor before. You work with Sun Life really that has a strategic focus on helping youth pastors ignite disciple-making movements. So I want to talk a little bit about that uh, today and, 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 and how we do that. And people that are listening in, how, what steps they would need to become intentional as a disciple-maker in their student ministry. But before I jump into the, the hows, uh, let me start with the why. Why is that important that student ministries have a disciple-making focus? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the, the first answer to that is because it was important to Jesus. You know, it's really important to remember that Jesus began his work with young young people, um, and it mattered to him. You know, a lot of times uh, we see youth ministry or student ministry as kind of the holding pen until people can grow up and then they can actually serve God, and, and that kind of stems out of our misunderstanding um, of God's work. You know, Jesus, uh, on the Thursday night, he's heading for um, uh, the Mount of Olives, where he's going to be arrested. It's, it's somewhere around midnight, two o'clock in the morning, and, and he stops by a vineyard and gives his last teaching, which is hypercritical. You know, we often hear about the Great Commission, that somebody's last words are really important, and that, that's true. But John 15 is Jesus' last teaching before the cross, And there, you know, he really um, lays out to us that God is the one producing fruit in our life. Um, And we struggle to really believe that. Uh, We believe that the fruitfulness of our ministries and our lives really depends on our amazing gifts and how charismatic and magnetic we are as a leader and all all of those things. And so a lot of times we're tempted to look at students and say, well, let's just keep them out of trouble until they're actually old enough that God can use them. But the entire teaching of John chapter 15, um, uh, and it, it gets lost a little bit in translation because it talks about if we remain in Christ, um, we'll bear much fruit. And the problem is that, you know, in a pull yourself up by your bootstraps culture, we hear that and we hear the word bear to mean produce, that if I remain in Jesus, then I can produce fruit. And uh, there's even guilt trip sermons that if you're not producing fruit, you need to get out there and 
get to it. Um, but the problem is that the Greek word there isn't to produce anything, it's to carry. And the entire word picture that Jesus is giving us is that the vine produces fruit that the branch carries, but that the life-giving um, that is producing this this fruit is pumped from the vine, and that vine is Jesus. And one of the things, I think one of the reasons Jesus chose young people was to combat this idea that only the gifted and great and mature can serve the Lord. Um, God wanted to give us a very practical illustration that God is who does the work, and He is so great and mighty. I don't know if you've ever seen some of these art demonstrations where these incredible artists will get up and use their hands or just junk and produce amazing art. Um, they don't need, you know, the top shelf uh, paint brushes or this, that, or the other. They just get up there and do incredible things, and it illustrates what a great artist they are. And I think that God is a God who is so great that often he can't help but show off through working through us. Um, and I think he does that in in many ways through students, that uh, a world that looks at students and limits what they're capable of, God steps in and begins revivals um, that, that rock nations. And so I really believe that it's important that we have a uh, Jesus perspective on students rather than buy into some of the crazy ideas like, well, you know, we're going to run a youth group. That way we keep these kids off the street at least one night a week, which I mean, it's just insane. Six nights a week, they're going to be out shooting heroin, but one night a week, we're going to teach them to play chubby bunny. You know, well, what's, what's the point of that? that? That was not Jesus's approach. Jesus came into lives and radically transformed them and unleashed them onto the world. And uh, I think it's really critical that as we look to Jesus, we, we adopt his perspective on student ministry. You know, when um, you hear people talking about the, the kind of grim statistics that teenagers, you know, that when they graduate from high school, they leave the church. Um, how does that play out with this command to make disciples in student ministry? And, and maybe I'm not asking the question right, but, but do we see a lot of student ministries that are making disciples? Is there a correlation between the fact that we don't see a lot of that with, with this dropout rate? Oh, I think I think that there's a direct correlation there. Um, you know, recently I had the privilege to be at a Flashpoint conference in Atlanta and heard Bill Hall just talking about what gospel are you preaching? If you share a gospel that does not lead to being a disciple who makes disciples, we are misunderstanding the gospel. That Ephesians two ten, we are saved unto good works. That God is rescuing us, not to just sit around and wait to go to heaven. Um, which becomes rather boring. And I think that's sometimes what happens in student ministry. We're so preoccupied with entertaining people. Um, uh, I know that many times I was, as a youth pastor, so preoccupied with just trying to attract kids and to entertain them and to keep them out of trouble that I forgot to connect them to Jesus. Uh, the statistic is often read that X percent of students after high school graduation walk away from Jesus. Um, that's often how that statistic is shared. As a former youth pastor, the first thing I've got to ask myself is, were my students following Jesus or were they following me? You know, in John chapter one, right off the bat, God reveals to us a critical disciple-making principle. 
Um, and it is the job of every disciple maker. Um, there in John chapter 1, Andrew meets Jesus. He hangs out with him. It's like four in the afternoon. They hang out a few hours. Immediately he goes and he gets his brother. And from the, the language of those sentences, it appears that that's who he got first. Quite frankly, it could have been, it's quite possible that he could have gone and got more people. But what we see there is a really key principle that he brought them to Jesus. Um, he didn't just take them the message. He connected them to Jesus. The next day, Philip is going to go get Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's going to push back on this. I don't know, man. There's no way the Messiah is going to come from some hick town like Nazareth. And there is a, a definite place for apologetics in Christianity. But Philip doesn't sit and debate with Nathaniel. Instead, he says, come and see. And he brings Nathaniel to Jesus. It is really important that as disciple makers, we understand that the core of what we are doing is introducing students to Jesus to walk with him without us. Um, they're not following us. They are growing to a place where they walk with him alone. They have their own relationship with Jesus, and even someday are mature to a point where he is directing them in their ministries, um, not taking their cues from us. Um, I believe that that moves um, a youth ministry from a, from a holding pen where we're begging kids not to do drugs or get pregnant um, to a place where we can't hold them back. Um, they are out of control. Um, we had a student in our ministry. I work with surfers, and that's all ages, but we had an eighth grader come through some training, and uh, he went home. He was kind of a quiet kid uh, at that time in his life. He wasn't the you know, superstar kid, and uh, he went home and said, you know, God, they told me that you want to use me, and so here I am, and um, he just gave himself to the Lord and began to walk closer and closer and to know Jesus personally, um, to remain in that vine, and then to be willing to let the vine use him. And, uh, you know, this kid's a freshman in high school, and the revival that began by his sophomore year, this untrained, out-of-control surf rat is leading a Bible study in his high school. There's 200 students coming weekly wow. to sit with him and say, teach me to walk with Jesus. That's not a kid that I'm concerned about walking away from church when he turns 18 because he has tasted something that the world cannot compete with. And so like Peter, when the world comes and says, hey, you want to quit following Jesus? He says, where would I go? <laughs> where can I be a part of something so real and alive that brings hope into a broken world? Um, kids like that. Uh, it's not that they don't fall into sin. It's not that they don't struggle. It's not that they don't hit bumps in the road. But young people like that have tasted of living water and rapidly can tell contaminants in their water, and, and they don't want polluted water any longer. So we're not baiting them to stay in church. They don't want to leave. Um, it's, it's very much like the uh, uh, here in America— we set up a farm and we put our cows on it and we, we put up a fence and we try to keep them in. A lot of times youth ministry has worked that way. We put up fences of entertainment and good times, stuff like that, to try to keep kids from going out and destroying their life. But in Australia, a great place to surf, by the way, um, they do it a little different because they have vast um, tracts of desert. And so they, don't, they can't put up fences because it's too much fence. And so what they do is dig a well. 
and and the animals never venture far from it because they know that's where life is at. And uh, I think that Jesus taught us a model, not of putting up fences. I think that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. It wasn't working in their own lives or anybody else's. But I think Jesus taught us a model of digging a well. And students who've been to the well, um, I, I think they stay by the well. Wow, that is an amazing um, il- illustration of digging a well. So here's a question. How do you do that? How do you dig a well that is attractive to teenagers and um, makes them hunger after Christ and really experience that life change that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. And and I think, again, we go back to John 15, I think it begins... Um, with my journey with Christ. You know, I heard Josh McDowell one time say, uh, he was sitting in front of a lot of youth pastors and a guy raised his hand and said, you know, Mr. McDowell, what's the, what's the one thing I can do that will truly have an impact on my students? And, um, and I think, I think that Josh McDowell caught everyone off guard. He said, um, young man, the greatest thing you can do as a youth pastor is love your wife. And uh, I think it caught people off guard, and, and what it brought it back to is that the foundation of our ministry is the reality of Christ in our life, um, not what we go out and do. And so I think it begins with me having a real walk with Jesus. Um, sometimes I think that uh, um, I think sometimes we treat Jesus a little bit like Amway. You know, I've had a lot of buddies join. If you're listening to this podcast and you're in Amway, I apologize. Um, but, uh, you know, I've had buddies join Amway. They want to take me out to lunch. I'm so excited to see them. Then we get to lunch and I realize they don't want to see me. They're just trying to recruit me to Amway. And so, um, I'll ask them, well, what products are you using? And, um, and repeatedly I've had people say, well, nothing, (laughs) I'm not using this product. I just want you to join. And I fear that sometimes that's how we treat Jesus. You know, I I want to build a ministry where everybody follows Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not following Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I think the first step to build a ministry like that is I've got to be drinking from that well. Um, and then secondly, I've got to keep my eye on the ball that I'm connecting people to Jesus. Man, youth ministry is so much fun. I mean, I work with surfers all day. Life is fun. I mean, it's a good time. But, you know, students are fun by nature. You know, whatever you do with students is going to be fun. We can't ever get distracted into thinking that that has to take priority over the the reality that what we're really doing is connecting students to Jesus, and we're going to have a ball along the way. I believe Jesus was a lot of fun. You know, children wanted to be with him. I don't see children being around stoic, you know, running to be with stoic, grouchy, you know, um, dictators. You know, they they wanted to be with him. I think he was a lot of fun. Um, and I think student ministry can be fun, but I think we got to keep our eye on the ball of connecting surfers to Jesus. And that begins with, with lost students um, and, and helping them to come to see. And, and it's not something we trump up. It's not something we have to add to. We don't have to try to make Jesus look good. Jesus is good. He is amazing. And we have to help students understand that what their soul is longing for, and they're trying to quench with chicks or drugs or good grades or being the top athlete, that what their soul's really longing for is Jesus and let them get a glimpse that they might be born again. But when that happens, we've got to recognize that's a starting line 
not the finish line. And there's a big difference. Um, and so now we have to start to help them understand how to walk with Jesus. How do I hear his voice? How do I talk to him? How do I, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, when I blow it, when I sin, how do I deal with that? How do I learn to talk? Because in the kingdom of darkness, the way I talked was one way. But now I live in a kingdom of light. What's normal is different. How do I treat others? You know, we've got to help, uh, as Colossians says, help people be rooted and built up in Christ. Um, and then, though, uh, the Christian life isn't just a, uh, a life of being a really good moral citizen and waiting to die so I can get to heaven. Um, you know, eternal life is this, knowing God and knowing his son, Jesus. And so the next step is moving into equipping and training students in the life skills of how to be a disciple maker so that they can now participate in the lifestyle that Jesus taught us. You know, in surfing, it's, it's interesting because somebody who's not a surfer looks at surfing as a sport or an activity that people participate in. But any surfer knows that surfing is not a sport. It's a lifestyle. Being a surfer is a way of life. Um, being a follower of Jesus is a way of life. It is a lifestyle of inviting the lost to come and see Jesus and inviting the found to follow him and inviting those that are following him to begin to learn to fish for men that they might go on to a life of bearing much fruit. And I believe um, as we begin to see youth ministry through that lens of Jesus, and we begin to function that way, um, we begin to build, not a ministry, but we begin to build young men and young women who follow Jesus for all their life because they found in him what their soul was really looking for. Dana, as we're talking about this, what encouragement would you give to a student pastor that says, man, that's what I want, but I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the hamster wheel right now of the next big event, the next big event. Um, and, and I don't know how to get off of that and really begin to do these substantial things that you listed off, you know, reaching the loss, training them how to walk with Jesus, training them in the life skills of a disciple maker, uh, what what are some just practical words of counsel you could give to that that youth pastor? Yeah, yeah, that's a great word. And I've been that guy who is running so fast, um, and I'm just feel like I'm chasing my tail. You know, I'm not seeing disciples come out of my ministry, and I'm I'm so busy that I'm just about to have a breakdown. Um, and so I've I've been there. And the first thing I would say is remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, you don't got to change everything. You know, what if we just begin by changing um, 10% of 10%? You know, we just start with a, a little change. Um, and, and I would begin uh, with carving out some time in your schedule. That means you're going to have to say no to some things. So ruthlessly cutting some things out of, out of your life um, that may involve uh, your personal life, if you've got cable TV, you have something to cut out. Um, you have space. It may be saying no to some things in your ministry, but finding some room for personal growth. And that uh, can come through a couple things. It can come through um, reading. You know, I think there's some great resources out there right now 
Uh, you know, Dan Spader has a book, The Four Chair, uh, uh, Four Chair Discipling. That's a great resource, very encouraging, very practical. Um, I think there's opportunities today. There's a lot of training going on in disciple making. Um, and of course, you know, you referenced that I work with Sun Life. They offer a lot of training. But here's the thing. The model Jesus gave us, I think books, I think training, all those things are excellent. But the model Jesus gave us um, was relational. And so I would encourage um, a youth pastor out there to begin to pray and to begin to look for someone who is living this um, that they can connect to. Um, you know, there are people that are doing this. Um, one of the things I found as a youth pastor is I, I heard rumor of guys like this, but I was so busy, I couldn't take time to go have lunch with them. And one day, I finally just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I kind of landed where I was no longer willing to give my life for 80% of my kids to go out and become pagans. Um, and I said, man, I, I want to see kids meet the Jesus who changed my life. And so at that point, um, I just found some guys who were making disciples, and I just uh, creeped on them until they let me into their life. <laughs> I just stalked them. And, uh, um, and I would encourage you— you know, remember, it's not all. It doesn't all have to change today, but begin to invest into your own life um, some resources, whether that's training, whether that's reading, um, and begin to pray for God to bring a, a person into your life that you could begin to journey with. And then the the best for last, I would challenge you to create margin in your life to study. Jesus. The thing that has brought peace to my soul more than a great friend, a mentor, a good book, or, an, you know, my youth ministry going well has been to dig into the life of Jesus and to find him to be the bread of heaven, um, to find him to be the manna that daily feeds me and to get to know him. Um, I am shocked. I was at lunch today with some um, pastors who are talking about how to shift their church to a disciple-making movement. We're discussing and uh, talking about that and, and really talking about Jesus and um, just just discussing how, you know, I'm ashamed that I've been a Christian all these years and I don't know Jesus better. Um, I've been busy uh, looking at other things. And so I would encourage a youth pastor to take time, dig into the Gospels, begin to study the life of Jesus chronologically, the way it really happened, the way a human lives his life, and get to know him in humanity um, because he wants to relate to you. Well, that is wonderful, wonderful counsel. And if you're here listening today and you're like, man, I need to make a step in this direction, one of the places that you can find those uh, resources and the people that are pursuing this is through Disciple First. Disciple First is a great place to begin uh, where you can find podcasts and resources, uh, conferences like Flashpoint that put you in contact with people like Dean and others who have given their lives to make disciples and make disciples Jesus's way in the local church. So go to disciplefirst.com for resources. Go to Flashpoint. Com, the flashpointconference.com to find a flashpoint conference coming to you in the future. And um, 
Continue to go make disciples that makes disciples.